0: be seated. If you would uh, bow and pray with me and then we're going to open God's word together. Lord, we thank you for this beautiful day. We thank you for the opportunity to gather together as your people. We thank you for the beautiful weather that just uh, screams of your glory all around us. Thank you for this season, for this time of year as we uh, start to think about celebrating Advent and the, the coming of of you to us in in humanly form and what you've done for us. And so we just pray uh, as we enter this season of Thanksgiving and then on into Christmas that you would just be in the center of all of that. We pray this morning as we open your word uh, that you would teach us, that you would lead us, that you would guide us, that you would uh, correct us, that you would encourage us, uh, that as we open your word that it would be, uh, we would do uh, everything that we do and say would be pleasing in your sight. And so we just pray that this time would be lifting you up, making much of you. Uh, We thank you. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Uh, I was thinking back this week of probably two um, of my favorite uh, sports stories ever. Uh, There were a couple that I was thinking of, like as a kid growing up. Uh, One of them was uh, Super Bowl. uh, I think it was Super Bowl twenty-three. Joe Montana, uh, San Francisco 49ers, if you're a football fan. Some people say he's the best quarterback ever, maybe, maybe not, but one of the best. And, uh, I remember Super Bowl, they're down by like, uh, a touch no less than a touchdown down by like four with two minutes left and Joe Montana comes in and takes his team down the field 92 yards and they score a touchdown and win the game and so you know exciting game Super Bowl all that great Super Bowl finish but what is really cool about the story or what I really liked about the story is hearing years later about what happened in the huddle right before they went down the field to win the Super Bowl uh, apparently one of Joe Montana's linemen Uh, like to point out to all the guys throughout the week with all the Super Bowl festivities, all the celebrities that he kept seeing throughout the week. So they would go to all these different things for the Super Bowl. And so this guy was really excited about all the celebrities he kept seeing. And so right before the last drive, as they come into the huddle, they all get there together. And Joe Montana turns to this lineman and goes, hey, isn't that John Candy? in the front row, <laughs> and he points out a celebrity, the actor John Candy, sitting there as they're about to go down the field. And he said, the guy got so mad at him. He's like, what are you doing? This is the Super Bowl. And we need, and Joe Montana's just kind of like, hey, well, he's right there. Like, And so Joe Montana had this reputation of his nickname was Joe Cool, that nothing ever got to him, that even in that moment, he's pointing out celebrities in the front row. And so that was one of them, I always liked just that that's the way he was. Uh, but probably my favorite story was one about uh, Larry Bird. Boston Celtic legend Larry legend one of the greatest basketball players who ever played and the story that I loved was one it was in the playoffs and the Celtics were down by one point and they had the ball with eight seconds left and they called a timeout and they drew up a play and Larry Bird walks out onto the court and you can actually watch the old footage like on ESPN and stuff and you can see him do this he walks out on the court with a guy guarding him and he walks over and he points to the floor and then he goes back and they run the play and he comes and gets the ball. And he turns and he shoots it and makes it in the guy's face. And so the, the story goes, they say, well, what did he say to you when he walked out? He said, and so Xavier McDaniel, the guy guarding him, said Larry Bird walked out and pointed to the floor. And he said, I'm going to catch the ball right there and I'm going to make it in your face and we're going to win the game. <laughs> and then he did it. <laughs> and so it was always like, I just love that Larry Bird, he's one of the few guys that would talk trash before he made the shot. He would go tell you what he was going to do and so both of those guys kind of the biggest moments of their career stuff when most people would get really overwhelmed with just the situation the moment the Super Bowl millions of people and both those guys are as cool as can be there was a confidence that they had kind of a, a conviction of, of how good they were and they could put in the time and the work and that just didn't bother them. they walked out there Larry Bird made the shot walked off the court supposedly he talked. he said well what did he say to you after he made it And he said, oh, I messed up. I didn't want to leave two seconds on the clock. That was his that was the only thing he messed up on. But my point in all that, just thinking about those stories this week, and I was thinking about what we see in the book of Acts. And we see Apostle Paul going into all of these situations that normally would just be overwhelming and scary and difficult. But yet Paul walks into everything looking to glorify God in all of it. Every situation, no matter how difficult you can think back just a few weeks, everything that we've seen Paul doing and where he's going and how God's using him, whether it's in jail. We saw a few weeks ago he's in jail and as he's put into jail for something he didn't do, there he is at midnight singing praises to God in the middle of it, that everything that he saw and everything that came his way, that he had this confidence and this assurance in who God is and what he was doing and it never threw him. It never phased them in all of it. And so we're going to look at the last two chapters of Acts today. We're actually going to finish up Acts. It's been, uh, I think, about eight months now. But here we are coming to the end of Acts. But as we look at these last two chapters and all that Paul's even going to come up against and see even right here at the end, I want this to stand over our time. And so here, what Paul writes in Ephesians 2. I want to read just part of what Josh read to us just a second ago. Just as way of background, if you're not aware As we get to the end of Acts, we've been saying Acts takes us from 30 A.D. to about 63 A.D. So we're getting right to the end of that. And so what we're going to look at in these chapters is really 60, 61 to 63 A.D. In that time, right at that time frame is when Paul writes the letter to Ephesus. What we have is Ephesians. And so when we read this, we're seeing Paul's mindset, what God was showing him, what he was inspiring him to write right at this time. And so listen to what it says in Ephesians 2, starting in verse 4. for by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. But then look carefully at what he says in verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so I want that statement there in Chapter two, verse 10 of Ephesians to kind of stand over the last two chapters of Acts that we're looking at today, because what I think we see Paul doing is he had this conviction that God had brought him from death to life, that he had made him a new creation and that in Christ he was preparing these good works for him to walk in. Paul knew where he was going and he knew what God had called him to do, and he was rock solid in that in that conviction to go and do the things that God had called him to do. And I think when we really understand and believe that verse 10, it can transform the way we walk through the things that come at us in our life, because Paul knew and believed and operated out of this, that God was recreating him, making him new in Jesus and that he'd prepared good works for him to walk in. And so he looked at everything he went in that way whether it was a riot in Jerusalem that got him arrested, that got him to appeal to Caesar, to head to Rome, to all the stuff that we're going to look at, that along the way Paul was looking at it as I am a new creation in Christ and he is creating these opportunities for me to walk in these good works that he's prepared for. And so here's the question I want you to consider as we look at this and as we go into that. Do you believe if you've put your faith in Jesus, that you've gone from death to life, that God has raised you with him, that you are a new creation, that the Holy Spirit now indwells you and God is remaking you from one degree of glory to another? That's the heart of the gospel that we proclaim. But the next question I would ask you is, do you believe that you are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for works that God has prepared beforehand for you to walk in? That he's prepared works for you to walk in each day of your life. And so I want us to think about that and what that looks like and and what it would mean to walk in that. And so we're going to look at Paul and what he's doing here and the way God's using him. And so we're going to look at the big idea of these just a couple of chapters right here pretty quickly. But then I want us to ask these questions and look at it this way. First, what was the experience like? What was it looking like that he's walking in these good works? What just what did that look like? Secondly, how does he continue despite the obstacles? And then lastly, what happens? What is the result of this? Right. So what does it look like? How does he continue? And then what are the results? So let's jump in. Let's look at chapter twenty seven and twenty eight of Acts together as we kind of summarize this. And so what we've seen, if you've been with us the last few weeks, is that Paul had had left um, the churches that he had helped plant. And now he's going back to Jerusalem as he gets back to Jerusalem, even though there's lots of warnings from everybody around him. You're going to be persecuted. It's going to be difficult. And he says, yes, yes, I know, but I'm going and he goes. And immediately upon arriving in Jerusalem, we see a riot break out. He gets arrested very quickly. He's about to be beaten. There's all kinds of people after him. He uses that opportunity to share the gospel and then he appeals as a Roman citizen to Caesar. He gets arrested, but he says, ah, I would like to go before Caesar. And as a Roman citizen, they have to honor that appeal because he has the rights of a citizen. And so now he's on his way to Rome for this appeal. We saw uh, a couple of weeks ago is he would have been let go because there weren't really any charges, but because he appealed, he has to kind of continue on in the system, which Paul's completely fine with because it's getting him to Rome. Remember, God had told him, you're going to end up in Rome and you're going to proclaim my name there. And so he knows that's what God's called him to do. So he's on his way to Rome. And what we see is he gets put on this boat and it tells us at the end of chapter uh, 27 that there's 276 people on this boat. It's a ship of soldiers, Roman soldiers, sailors that are kind of working the boat and then prisoners that are being transported. And so Paul's going to get on this boat. And we see in chapter 27, this pretty tumultuous trip that he takes on his way to Rome. And so as they begin to set out, it doesn't look good. It even tells us that they're kind of setting out at a time of year that it's probably not smart. And Paul stands up. If you look in verse 10 of chapter 27 and he says, sirs, I perceive this voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only to the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than what Paul said. Basically, they ignored him. They were like, yeah, yeah whatever. We're going with the sailors. Uh, and because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete. So you get right there that it's not the best conditions to be sailing. They don't even want to leave the boat in the water there. So they say, even though winter's coming, even though it's not good conditions, let's go ahead and go. And so they do and they take off and they they start off in this journey. And it tells us very quickly it got really bad. Verse 14. But soon uh, this huge wind comes in called the northeaster struck down the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. Notice, too, I've been pointing this out the last few weeks. We have those wee passages. Seems like Luke's on the boat with them, right? The author of Acts is traveling with him, we and our, and he's telling you how he feels and what he's seeing. But you get the firsthand account here. But then verse 18, it says, We were violently storm-tossed, and we began the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. Neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest lay on us. All hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. And so Paul or uh, Luke tells you like we were in the middle of this for days on end and it was scary. And it got to the point that people that knew what they were doing, the sailors that were there had lost all hope that we were actually going to live through this. And so get the scene a little bit of how serious this storm is and what they're going through that they don't think they're going to make it. And so right in the middle of that, as that happens, Paul stands up again. Men, you should have listened to me <laughs> and not have set sail from Crete and endured this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar and behold, God has granted you and all those who set sail with you so take heart men for i have faith in god that it'll be exactly as i've been told we must run aground on some island and then it says when the 14th night had come so he stands up and says that and then this continues on right so i want you to just think about what people are looking at him here's this guy that stands up we're all going to be fine god showed me and told me i saw an angel and they're all like oh yeah whatever Right. I'm guessing that a lot of them are like, okay, Paul, great, great. And so this continues on. It continues to get worse. But just as Paul says, they do. They run aground. They safely make it to shore on this island. Despite losing the ship, they kind of crash in. Everybody's got to get out. Think about. Remember, this is in the winter. The water's freezing cold. They go many, many days without eating. And it's really difficult. And they finally get off the boat. They finally make it safe to shore. It tells us at the beginning of chapter 28 that they're on the island of Malta. It says the native people showed us an unusual kindness and they kindled the fire and they welcomed us because it had begun to rain and was cold. And so they make it and they're safe and they're there. And so all of a sudden, right after that, they build a fire. And the next thing it tells us right after that is a snake climbs out of the fire and bites Paul latches onto his hand all the people of the island know it to be a poisonous viper and they all go he's gonna die right like they've seen this happen before it says they're waiting on him to swell up and then he's gonna die and so they're basically just sitting there watching waiting him for for him to die but Paul doesn't die and then they're all looking at him and then they think well maybe he's a god that's what it tells us they think maybe he's a deity and that's why he's not died But then what happens is they get stuck on that island for three months because of the winter. And Paul begins to preach the gospel, begins to pray with people and people begin to be healed. And they start to see the power of God in this place for those three months. After those three months, they finally catch another boat and they move on to Rome and they get there safely together. And we end in the chapter here, the very end of Acts, they get to Rome. Paul begins to uh, preach the gospel. First to the Jews and to the Gentiles it says he's receiving all that would come to him. And it gets to the very end. And it says in verse 30 and 31, he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And that's the way the book ends. That's the way the letter ends. The gospel is still going forth. God is still sending people out. It's still growing out to new places and new things. And so here's what I want us to consider as we look at that whole story, that here Paul is wor- walking in the good works that God has prepared for him beforehand. He's going to Rome just as Paul or just as God had told him he was going to. I, I don't know if you remember, but a couple of weeks ago when we looked uh, chapter 23, right after he gets arrested in Jerusalem and he stands up and he proclaims the gospel to the angry mob. And then they throw him in a jail cell in 23 verse 11. It says that night. The Lord stood by him and said, take courage for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem. So you must also testify in Rome. And so Paul knew that this was what God had prepared for him and he knew that he was going and he was being obedient and he was going the best way he knew to get to Rome. But here's the question I want to ask you. What did that journey look like? Walking in the good works that God had prepared beforehand. He had told them, you're going to Rome. That's my plan for you. To go and to proclaim the gospel in Rome. How would you characterize him getting there? Is it like smooth sailing, easy as can be. No, I mean, it was pretty difficult. In fact, I think at the very least we would say it was difficult. I think if we really put ourselves in his shoes and thought about what it was like, it tells us at one point they didn't eat for 14 days because they thought they were going to die on the boat and they were trying to save their food and all these things that are there in the middle of the winter. The the sailors that know what this is like is going, yeah, we're not going to make it. It would have been terrifying. It would have been miserable and cold and hungry and hard. And after all that, you crash. And as soon as you crash, you get and you meet some nice people that welcome you and are helping you. And then immediately you get bit by a poisonous snake. And so if you go back, not just in these chapters, but even if you go back the last few chapters, let's say just the last maybe three or four years of Paul's life. What do you see as Paul is seeking to honor God in everything he does? We see riots. We see him be stoned. We see him get thrown in jail. We see him appeal to Caesar. We see him get put on a boat with a bunch of. Uh, convicts you see all these things that Paul is going through and so the thing I want you to consider is when we start to talk about what does it look like to walk in the good works that God has prepared for us beforehand is it always going to be just man it's so great and it's easy sailing no in fact a lot of times it's hard and it's difficult and there's a lot of uh, tumultuous times that come with that And we've even been talking about that the last few weeks, how God teaches us and shows us and strips things away in those difficult times. But even when we're following God and we're being obedient as Paul is here, there's still lots of difficulty. Shipwrecks and snake bites and all that goes in between. And I think if we went around the room and we started to ask that question of what does it look like of following God in your life day in and day out? we'd have a lot of similar stories that it's not always easy. Maybe not to the extreme of being thrown in jail and being stoned and left for dead or being on a shipwreck. But I think if we went around the room, there'd be a lot of stories of sleepless nights and heartache and pleading with God and why like this and why is it working this way? And so I just want you to consider that sometimes that following God and the good works that he's prepared beforehand for us Walking in them is not easy. And sometimes it's really difficult. And so the next thing I want us to consider is how do we continue to walk in that, even when it is difficult? Because I think there's a lot of things we see here with Paul that helps us <clears throat> in our walk today to continue. Right? If we really believe that God has prepared beforehand these good works that we should walk in, how do we continue to get up each day and do that? And so look at what happens with Paul. I want you to go back and just look at this story and the things that are here. And the first thing I want you to consider is what what we saw back in in chapter 23, that that God had spoken to Paul and he said, just as you've testified in Jerusalem, you're going to testify in Rome. I have this plan for you to walk in this. And he tells them that and he clearly shows them that. And so the first thing I want you to consider, you see Paul say it again as he stands up in the boat in the middle of that storm and he says, we're all going to be OK. An angel has showed me and we're going to get there and we're not going to lose a single one. And the first thing is that Paul had a deep conviction based on what God had told him that God was in control and he was going to do what he said he was going to do. He was believing the word of God. He was listening to what God had said to him. And he was letting that stand over his circumstances in his situation. And he was continuing to believe that. Even when everything else looked the opposite, even when those on that boat had resigned themselves to the fact we're going to die here, we're not going to make it. And Paul's going, that's not what God has told me. And even though everything looks hopeless here, I'm going to trust in what God has said to me and what he's shown me. And so the question I would ask you as we think about walking in the good works that God has prepared for us, are you hearing God in your life? Are you hearing his voice? Do you have a conviction the way Paul does of the things that God has said to you? Now, the way we do that is through God's word. Seeking him in it, spending time listening, praying, seeking God in those things. But I would just ask, is that a regular part of your life? Joanna and I did a thing a couple years ago with a friend that's a pastor and his wife and he discipled us for a year. We actually did it over Skype, modern technology. He was living in New York at the time. But us and a group of people. And what he would ask us every week, starting almost the first week, we started with him. Is each week when we'd get together, he would say, what is God teaching you this week? What are you hearing from God this week? And he'd, he'd want an answer. He'd say, I want to hear what God's telling you, what he's teaching you. And then the next thing he'd say is, what are you going to do about it? How are you going to be obedient To what God's telling you. And so I would just ask you we see Paul here with this conviction of knowing that he's heard from God and nothing's standing in his way and he's going to be obedient in it. And so when we start to think about how do we walk in the good works that God's prepared for us, we need to have that conviction of hearing God's voice. And the way you do that is in his word. And so I would just ask that question what is God teaching you this week? The realization some weeks is I'm not listening. If we're honest, thankfully, because of the gospel, we can be honest and we can say, yeah, I wasn't listening at all this week because I'm so busy. Well, God doesn't love you any less than Jesus. And that's OK. And you begin to start and ask today. But part of that, if we want to walk in the good works he's called us to, we need to have that conviction of hearing his voice and what he's telling us. But that's the first thing. But the second thing I want you to see is Paul is on this boat and everything he's doing is not only does he have the conviction, not only is he hearing God and being obedient to it, he's taking the next step of speaking the truth to those around him. Every part of this, the whole thing, right? In the middle of the storm, in the middle of the boat, when all hope is lost, we're all gonna die, we're not gonna make it, he stands up and goes, God has told me it's gonna be okay. He's clinging to God's sovereignty. He's clinging to God's word over his circumstances or his emotions or his feelings in the moment. Oftentimes, what happens is we know God's word or we spend time and we read it and we think about it or we know it. Or maybe you spend a long time in the Bible and then difficult things in your life come. And they're right in your face and they're pressing in on you. And your emotions are involved, and it's difficult, and you want to believe your emotions in that situation over what God has clearly said. And what we see Paul doing, and what we're called to do, is to keep God's word over my circumstances and continue to trust Him despite when my feelings say something different. And so you see Paul do that very thing there. He says, Don't be afraid. God's told me I'm going to stand before Caesar in Rome. Everything else says the, de- the opposite, but he is trusting God's word and he's speaking that truth. We're called to do that with one another. Encourage one another, rebuke, correct, walk together, exhort one another. We need other people doing that with us because there's going to be times when those circumstances press in. And even though you know the truth, you want to trust your circumstances and you need other people to come alongside of you and go, no, no, that's not what God's like. And that's not what he said. And that's not what he's told us in his word. And so not only is it believing and walking out of that conviction, but it's beginning to speak that to one another. But the third thing here I want you to see is look at what happens in the towards the end of this. Right. So they go 14 days without food. They're about to die. It gets worse. He stands up and says that on the boat. And then it tells us the storm continues on. It doesn't get better. And so here he is like, no, 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 it's all going to be great. And then it's not great. But then all of a sudden, after a couple of weeks, they finally get to a place where they find an island and they're like, there is something there and we're going to try to run aground and we're going to try to get out of it. And so it picks up with me in verse 33 as they come to this. As the day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying today is the 14th day that we've continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Right? So they didn't eat for 14 days. They were trying to save their, their ration, the stuff they had. I urge you to take some food for it will give you strength for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. There he is still saying it, right? You're going to be okay. So take some food, get your strength up. But then look at what he says. When he said these things, he took the bread and he gave thanks to God in the presence of all. He broke it and they began to eat and they were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. And so the third thing I want you to consider is when it's difficult to walk in those things, to live out of a grateful heart of what God has already done for you in your life. I'm amazed at that. That here they are, they haven't eaten for 14 days on this ship, thinking they're going to die, freezing in the middle of this storm. And Paul takes the bread out and is like, let's give thanks to God. Let's thank God for his goodness and for providing this in the middle of that. And it says he did so in the presence of all of them. But he's going to stand up and proclaim how good and faithful God is, even when everything else looks the opposite. And so when we think about walking out the good works that God's prepared for us, what does it look like to live out of a grateful heart in everything? And I want you to think about the witness that that would have been. In the midst of all that, that here's the crazy guy that told us it was going to be difficult and the crazy guy that stood up and told us we're going to be okay. And now we see land. He stands up and he's praising God and thanking him in the midst of it. The witness that Paul is giving to that boat full of convicts. In the midst of the most difficult times, he continues to live out of a grateful heart, thanking God and all of that. So here's the question. How do we do that? It's easy to say, well, just trust God and his word, speak the truth, be grateful in everything. And then when difficult things come, it's hard to do that. So how do we do that? How does that happen? I think you go back to what Paul says right before that God's prepared good works for us to walk in in Ephesians 2. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, but God being rich in mercy has caused you to become alive in Jesus. And all that you have and all that you are and all that you will ever be is by the grace of God in your life and what Christ has done for you. So you go, well, how do we do that? You realize that you can't do it, that it has to be Jesus being formed in you that will ever do this. Because right? that's what it says for we are his workmanship Created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God's going to do the work. And He's already done the work. He's brought you from death to life. He's already taken you in and of yourself that could never do it. And he's brought you from death to life. He's caused you to become alive in Jesus. It's by his grace that you're saved. Even your faith is a gift of God. He does all of this. And now he's created good works for you to walk in. And so you walk in trusting what God's going to do in your life. It's not you. It's him. You can't do it. And so you wake up each day trusting that it has to be Jesus being formed in you. That it has to be what he's doing on your behalf, working that out. And we walk in what he's doing. Does that make sense? You're a new creation. He says right before that you have been seated in the heavenlies with him. Seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He's the one doing it. And we have to get up each day and beg for his mercy and his grace and that he would do this work in us that it's his good works, that he's prepared beforehand, that he's doing. That's exactly what Paul was doing every day. He wasn't standing up and saying, oh, it's all going to be great because I'll get us out of this. He's standing up and proclaiming how good God is and what he's going to do. And so we have that opportunity in everything that we come up against. To continue to trust God. To continue to hold fast to what he's told us. Let his words stand over our emotions. Operate in a grateful heart. Continuing to point to what he's doing. And it's all because of the grace that he's given us. And as we do, you start to realize something that it kind of says in the background here. You get to the very end and Paul gets there and God keeps him. And he brings him to that place and he gets him to Rome. And it says uh, in verse 24, And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. Now he gets there and he's obedient and he speaks the truth and he continues to do it. And some people don't believe it. And it brings us to it's all God's doing. We're to be faithful to the good works he's prepared for us, clinging to him. He's going to do these things and we can't argue people into faith. We can't make those things happen. We can just cling to him and all of it. And that's exactly what Paul does all the way through. And so as we end Acts, I'm going to end with that. But there's going to be one little addendum here of what happens at the very end. Right, very end, he gets there. God keeps him safe. And he says, he lived in the two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. The gospel still is going forward. Acts ends that way. There it is. He's still going for it. He's still proclaiming the gospel. But I want you to think about what happens here. Not just in that. Yes, God kept him. He kept his promises. He said, you're going to go to Rome. You're going to do this. That's exactly what happened. But I want you to think about the journey along the way. What do you think happened to those 276 people on the boat with Paul? Think about what they saw in the midst of this. They saw a horrible storm. They saw they thought they were going to die, starving, awful, all this stuff. But I want you to think about the witness of this faithful man that's walking in the good works that Jesus had prepared for him. He says, this isn't going to go good. And then as it goes bad, he stands up and he goes, it's OK. God's going to keep us. And they're all Like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And then they crash on the thing. He's like, it's all right. Let's give thanks to God. And then they all make it. And then they all get there. And they're around the fire and then Paul gets bitten by a snake. They're like, oh yeah, this crazy guy. Wait a second. He lives and then he proclaims the gospel and then he prays and people get healed. What do you think those 276 people thought about the God of this guy, Paul, and what he was proclaiming at the end of this? How did their understanding of God change through that journey? And here's the question I would ask you. Who are the people on the boat with you in your life? Who's the 276 that are around you that are seeing your life, that you have an opportunity to continue to walk in the good works that God's prepared for you? You have an opportunity as things come in your life to continue to praise God, to continue to live out of a grateful heart, to continue to point to the greatness of who Jesus is and what he's done. What will they see? As Christ is being formed in you, we have this wonderful opportunity. In fact, next week we're done with Acts, but next week we're going to talk about Acts 29. Right? We're part of Acts 29 church. There is no, people ask me, what does is, what is Acts 29 say? I'm like, well, you should read it. <laughs> I've actually said that to a couple of people and then they come back. There is no Acts 29. You're part of a blasphemous organization. And it's like, no, 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 no. We are Acts 29. We're living it. We have that opportunity now to continue to do the work that God's called us to, to make disciples who make disciples. And so think about the opportunity you have with those around you. And when things are difficult and when they're good, are you the same person that's continually praising God and everything that we would make much of Jesus? Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for uh, this book that you've inspired, that you've kept, that you've passed down. For us, uh, we thank you for your word, that it is life-giving, that it is eternal. We thank you for the book of Acts that shows just your faithfulness in the early church. We thank you that we're part of this lineage, that we are disciples that have been made from disciples who made disciples all the way back to this time. And so we thank you for that. We pray that we would continue to trust you in everything of this life, the good, the bad, everything in between. That we would see it as an opportunity to make much of you and who you are and what you've done. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.